Good evening, everybody, and welcome to High Spirits. I'm Jay Stagman. With me, as always, is the most incredible person <laughs> in the world. Oh. The person I love the best, who has the most incredible bangs. Her name is... <laughs> uh, me? That's you. Oh, Noelle Schmidt. Yeah, that's right. That was such a nice intro. Oh, my God. Noelle Schmidt and I host a show called High Spirits, in which we drink alcohol and we talk about ghosts. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Noel, let's get this party started. Uh, what are you drinking? Uh, tonight I am drinking Folkway Revelator. It is a blend, and uh, it's got a lady being swallowed by some thorns on the front. So, mm -hmm. don't get trapped by thorns. Folkway. Yeah. That's a very good tagline for that. Thank you. Uh, I am drinking Zombie Dust, which is one of my favorites. I feel like it, uh, you know, if not thematic, then it sort of works in the ghost universe. Yeah, that's right. Zombie dust. Well done. Guys, I can barely contain my excitement. We were doing our first satellite phone call. We're doing our first satellite interview mm -hmm. with uh, my friend, your friend, uh, David. David, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, my name is David Rocco Pacini, and I am drinking a Hell or High Watermelon by 21st Amendment. Okay, and first of all, I am yum. <laughs> that's, a, that's a favorite. What did you say, yeah. yum? Yeah. Yeah. And you were about to say what else? Uh, oh, and then the other. Oh, no, we lost you. Oh, no. Okay, Hello? there he is. Hello. Oh, you're back. Oh, thank God. Oh, my goodness. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so since I'm in Oakland and since the show is called High Spirits, I thought it would be appropriate to uh, partake in the legal cannabis scene here. Now, now, full disclosure, I have a medicinal marijuana card from a car accident I was in, and that's how I have these now, but it is legal in California. And I am going to partake in a product called Island Premium, yeah, which are nice. pre-wrapped uh, cannabis cigarettes with a hemp filter. So it's kind of like a casual cigarette smoking experience. That is amazing. Oh, I love that. We're so excited yeah. for you. Not that you were in a car accident, but that you get to uh, you get to smoke cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um, well, the funny thing is here, too, is like... I can order this as easily, or actually easier than Amazon. I can go on a website and <laughs> click what I want, and in 20 minutes, they will deliver edibles, they will deliver pre-rolls, or whatever you want. It's crazy. Really? It's, it's California. Is there like, it, so there's an online menu where you can just like click a button and you're like, bring this to me? There's several different uh, types of online services, but I use this one, and I don't, I'm not going to get money for it, but it's called Ease. Okay. And it's just, it, it's just, you could go to their website, ease.com. Ease.com. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, you could order it and then someone's bringing it to your house. Like, it. Uh oh. You need to stand up. again. Can you? Yep. There, you're yeah. back. You're back. You're back. <laughs> oh, you were carried away you know by what? that. I'm going to move to the other side of the table because I feel like maybe that might be a problem. I'm in a very old house which has thick old walls. Okay. Or it's the government. So I'm moving to the. Or it's Muldoon, the ghost. I was going to oh. say this is a perfect segue. Um, everybody, um, David Fettini has written a wonderful book. Um, and that's why he's our guest today. He's going to talk about the haunting of Father Muldoon. And um, David, you have a really 
uh, close personal attachment to the story because your father was a priest. My dad was a Roman Catholic priest for 16 years in Chicago. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it was like one of these things that his, his mother kind of bestowed upon him when he was a baby. Like, not a baby, but in kindergarten. He went to a public school, and my grandmother dropped him off at school one day, and he didn't like the school. I think we lost you one more time. Oh. Okay, so my, so I'll just kind of do a quick recap. My grandma dropped my, my dad off at kindergarten at a public school. She didn't... off, And when he was wandering, he found the steps of a church, and he just kind of stayed there. My grandma tried to find him, couldn't find him anywhere, saw him at the church steps, and when she saw him, she was crying, but she just beat the hell out of him on the church steps. <laughs> and then she's just like, and then she said, it's a sign you are going to be a priest. <laughs> and it kind of enacted this whole thing where he became a priest. That's wonderful. And it was like, it, yeah, it was like, it was a very, you know, he, it was just like a strange trajectory from there for him. It was an omen. Now, uh, in case our listeners get confused, uh, Catholic Catholic priests are not allowed to have children. So can you tell the story uh, really quickly about how you and your brother came about? <laughs> so that's true. They're not allowed to get married. They're not allowed to have children. Um, my dad, upon his first assignment at St. Charles Borromeo, which all the activity where Muldoon takes place, was quickly disillusioned because the pastor there said to him like once right away, he's like, what's the most important day of the week? And my dad's like, of course it's Sunday. He's like, no, it's Wednesday. That's bingo night. And this guy was on the take. He had a woman on the side. He basically didn't care about the community. There was a lot of just bad stuff. Oh, we lost you again. They very, uh, I'm out again, huh? You're back. I don't know what's happening. I'm not really sure. <laughs> That's okay. Just um, keep going. We'll we'll work it out. Yeah, we'll work it out. So, I'm going to try one thing here. Okay. I'm going to see if this are... I'm taking up... Because I have like a wireless assist here. Maybe that's causing a problem. So, anyhow. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep, yep. Okay. So my dad always said, like, you know, right off the bat, he got a bad vibe. Uh, this church that's now since condemned, uh, it's been, it's torn down, and it's the parking lot of the Cook County Detentional Juvenile Center oh, wow. off of, like, Roosevelt and, off of Roosevelt and Hoyne. So he used to say to me uh, growing up, he's like, the most corrupt people you'll ever find are in religion. So, oh, interesting. Wow. So, yeah. so did that, this is fascinating to me, and I, and I really want to get to Muldoon, but did your dad stay in the Catholic Church after he left, or did he kind of lapse? Well, uh, the whole idea of being a priest is you never leave the priesthood. When my father passed away in 2004, um, he was buried with the rites of a priest. Uh, oh, wow. The, Arch the archbishop was there. My dad was always religious. He believed in Jesus. He believed in the philosophy of Roman Catholicism. He didn't just, he didn't believe in the institution. Gotcha. So the interest, I, I remember when I was 14 years old, 
because he had to petition the Vatican to be really released. So when we were growing up, I went to all Catholic grade school, all boys Catholic high school. Uh, he never went to church because technically it just wasn't like permitted. So I saw once when I was 14, a letter from the Vatican, which my dad received from the Pope saying that he was allowed to pursue his marriage in that when he got married, he got married through um, a good friend of the family who actually is very integral in this ghost story. He was an altar boy while my dad was a priest and he was showing this guy how to, you know, become a priest and all the sacraments and everything like that. Um, That's fascinating. He, we, I would love to swap Catholic uh, stories someday with you because, uh, yeah, like I can relate to a few of those from my uh, upbringing as well. That's amazing. Um, well, David, let's, let's go back to this because you have written a book um, based on your father's Well, I just want to clarify, actually, I just want to clarify, my dad actually wrote it. Your dad my brother, co my brother co-authored it, and I did all the photography and illustrations. So it was a big family project. Gotcha, gotcha. And can you say the full title of the book so our people can run out and get it uh, in Chicago bookstores and in Evanston bookstores and the libraries uh, here around town? Yeah, uh, it's available in Evanston and Chicago libraries. Muldoon, a true Chicago ghost story, tales of a forgotten rectory. But if you wanted to Google Muldoon ghost, it'll be the first thing that pops up. And I can attest to it, it is. And you can also get yeah. it if you're not in Chicago. Uh, you can get it on Amazon and Google Books, eBay as well. Right. It's really big in Ireland. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Um, cool. Well, do you want to start from the top? All right. Where do I start? So, like <laughs> well, I said, with, my, uh, my Father dad... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a drink. Uh, like I said, my dad was, um, thrust into the priesthood, if you will, the oldest of four uh, from an immigrant family. He was kind of playing the role of interpreter and American leader of the Italian family. So he had to take care of all of his siblings and, he was just the one in charge all the time. All the time was you ask your parents, but you also ask Rocco. And uh, that's kind of how the dynamic worked in the family. He went to Quigley Seminary, which has just recently in the last few years closed down, and it's a preparatory seminary. Uh, it's off of Rush, and I can't think of the cross street, but it's downtown. It's this big, beautiful, obsolete facility because the enrollment is so low now. But that's where he that's where he first heard about this possible haunting in a class. Uh, this very serious priest, all these instructors were very serious. Like as an example, my dad learned Latin because he my dad uh, used to when he became a priest he would say the mass in Latin before they changed it over to English uh, officially in the I forget which canon it was, but anyway, uh, this very serious instructor said to him one day to the class, he goes, I want to tell you of one place where things in this world don't settle correctly. And he would just speak very loosely about this church that exists, but then he didn't say anything about it. And that was the last he ever mentioned it. When he got assigned to his first church, which was St. Charles Borromeo, right away, he knew that this was the place because right off the bat, strange things were happening. 
Um, once one of the things he learned outside of talking to his pastor, who was pretty corrupt and getting the bingo and the collection played and had a woman on the side, is that they could never keep a housekeeper because oftentimes in the middle of the night, it would sound like dishes were smashing and it sounded like bowling balls pounding down the stairs. And when they go to check in the kitchen or any of the rooms, there was nothing moved, nothing, un- there was, everything was untouched. So yeah, I read, they couldn't I ne- actually yeah. read all about this. It would, it would, they would, uh, it, it would seem as though the kitchen cabinets were being ripped off the walls. Uh, right. It, it would it would seem as though the building was shaking violently. This is this is what my dad attested to. Like when he was young, he said these things would happen while he was there, and they did. They couldn't keep a housekeeper because they even the housekeepers. It was this common knowledge that there was something wrong with this church. Wow! Wow! That's yeah. incredible. Did he? Yeah. Did he posit what he thought was wrong with it? Aside from the corruption of the the main priest was it like did did he uh chalk it up to demonic activity or was it just like a ghost so it's interesting my dad he he phrases this book as he was the last person alive to tell this story and he needed it to get out so he knew the loose story while he was a priest but in researching this book which my dad again he was a scholar and knew latin he was a very knowledgeable man he did some heavy research and i helped him go into the library and going through microfiche and all this kind of stuff. But what it boils down to is when Catholicism was brought to Chicago, it was supposed to be brought by Bishop Muldoon. Now there was another guy who came along and he was from Ireland and he wanted the, the glory of bringing Catholicism to Chicago. Chicago was a burgeoning city and or it was, it was becoming, I was, was on the verge of becoming a burgeoning city because there was a direct trade port with all the, with the, the lake and the rivers connecting to it. So when Muldoon was there, he established his first church. And one of the first churches he built was St. Charles Borromeo. And this other bishop who had come in, not at the authority of the Catholic Church, was trying to smear Muldoon's name. And there was this back and forth awful thing. And, Eventually, Muldoon was cleared, and this other guy was shunned from the church. They even, like, have a shunning ceremony where he tried coming into Holy Name Cathedral one day, and everyone turned their back uh, as soon as he came in. It was in the middle of a mass, so this guy, like, was shunned from the Roman Catholic Church. But Muldoon, even though his reputation was, you know, recognized as being intact, they didn't want to have that at all linked, so they sent him out to Rockford. And, oh. in, and instead, they brought in Archbishop Quigley, the namesake from that, that preparatory seminary off of Rush Street. And he is the one who, who introduced Roman Catholicism to Chicago. Interesting. Now, um, I was reading up on um, Father Muldoon a little bit earlier today. And he, I mean, he was very active in the Chicago scene as well. Like he actually, we were chatting earlier about the Iroquois Theater disaster and he actually was on the scene and one of the priests that performed last rites so mm-hmm. that's surprising to me that he was actually not the priest to bring roman catholicism to the city because he was so heavily involved yeah you know quickly was more of a, a last or not a last minute but a much later in the game 
uh, appointment. So you probably will find Muldoon in a lot of instances in Quigley just kind of more establishing the, the literal church. Yeah. You know, yeah. like structure and then kind of getting the ball rolling. And then, uh, like I said, Muldoon went out to Rockford and there's a memorial there. There's that's where he's buried today. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, they say that they say that Muldoon isn't necessarily like one of the reasons that the hauntings might have happened is that he never got his story out there. He never got to be cleared. His name never got to be cleared. And my dad, who was kind of getting ill as his uh, as he got older, he's like, I'm the only one who could tell this story. I need to clear this guy's name. So he decided to write this book. And he believed in it. I mean, he said he saw firsthand what happened. And then the guy who baptized me and my brother and my, my brother's kids, this guy claims even to this day that he saw the ghost. And before I moved out here last August, I went to pick up a painting of my dad. That my dad was a painter and I went by his house and he had this in his church all these years. This is painting of Jesus, but it's really kind of weird and creepy and cool. It's like him hanging on the cross. It's real abstract. But, uh, <laughs> I said to him, I was like, I was like, Tom, and he's now a retired priest. I said, Tom, you know, I still, you know, I'm just, just checking again. It's like, he's like, I know. And he always was like, I know what I saw. And that's what I saw. So like when my dad would show my Tom, and I'll give a little background. My, my dad is 16 years older than my mom. My mom had a very good friend named Tom. So like my dad was just kind of like known as Father Rocco in the, in the Italian community and in the, like in the Italian Polish community, a little bit further west in Chicago. Um, everyone would go to my dad for advice. And my mom had problems with her parents and she would go to my dad for advice and all this kind of stuff. And Tom would come along and Tom wanted to be a priest. So he's like, oh, sure, I'll show you all this stuff. And he would show him like sacraments and stuff like that so tom was around one time when my dad wasn't there and that's when he says he saw the the ghost of Muldoon. okay so interesting let's go back to the origin story of Muldoon. so how how did he die um I think he died of, I, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm not quite positive. He died of natural causes while he was in Rockford. I'm not exactly sure how. But the idea was, upon his death, his ring was supposed to be brought back to the first church. He found it, and it was supposed to be buried with uh, a certain ceremony or whatever. And after his death, the ring got mailed and never re- got received anywhere. Huh. They don't. They know, never know what knew what happened to that ring. So, oh, so the ring there was that rumor went. What's that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, because the, oh, the the bishop's or the yeah the bishop's ring is, is a pretty ornate and yeah. important thing in Catholicism apparently, and it it just never got to where it was supposed to have gone. They never. So that like I think that was the story he heard while he was in seminary, and that was just kind of like oh. It's because this guy's ring didn't get back to his church that he's haunting the church. Do they think that somebody stole the ring or just got lost in the mail? <laughs> well, nothing can get like, you know, just evaporated in the mail. So I'm sure somebody's got it somewhere, but I have right. no idea. Nobody ever found out whatever happened to it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's almost like something out of like a horror movie where it's like you just have to like bury the ring and then everything goes away. 
Ah, yeah, it's like, we got to find that ring. <laughs> Muldoon 2. There we go. I like it. You're welcome. <laughs> so your dad gets there, um, and he lives there in the rectory. Correct. Correct. And what is his first um, analysis of the rectory? Is it like, oh, you know, this is this is my new home, and I'm so happy to be a priest here. Or is it like, yo, there is a ghost up in this piece? Well, to be honest, with everything that hit him fresh out of like seminary, I think it was in his early 20s. Uh, he was afraid of the neighborhood. First off, uh, in the West Side back then, it was pretty bad. Uh, UIC is kind of the medical district has changed that dynamic a bit, but it was very remote, very poor. And yep. in a paper just just before he became a priest, uh, it was the story of a man who dragged his wife outside, put her neck against the curb, and cut her head off, and then bought it, brought, brought it to a bar down the street and bought it three drinks before the cops came to get him. Oh, my God. And there was another priest that was involved in the area, who uh, uh, Father Schumacher, who would carry a gun. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too that I, after reading reading up on this over the last few days, I always forget how young these priests are. You know, we take for granted take it for granted now because it's kind of a dying breed in the U.S. at least. <clears throat> and so, you know, these right. guys are in their early twenties, like you said, and they're in charge of this entire parish. And then, you know, they, they're given this large rectory to live in that's old and creaky. And so that's a, that's a lot for a young man in his early 20s to take on. And then to be thrown and into... It's not even... No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, well, even it's like how back then the priest was not only just running the church, but he was often running people's lives. People yeah. would go to a priest instead of a psychiatrist or a therapist. Therapists didn't really exist back then. Right. So imagine someone fresh out of school in their 20s all of a sudden in charge of a community. Right, like marriage counseling and uh, yeah. people feeling bereaved and, and aggrieved and possibly suicidal. Like, this is, this is their job now. It's mm -hmm. a lot of pressure. And my dad used to tell me, like, he had a lot of those stories. Like, he was a priest for a while, and he saw some stuff there, so... And other did, places. But. Did he stay there for his, his entire 16 years, or did they move him? No, he moved to another church. He went to St. John Bosco, which is off of um, Austin, and it's a little bit north of Narragansett. I'm trying to think. Not, uh, a little bit further north than Belmont. Okay. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. So, like, okay. Old Narragansett's a little bit further west. So, it's just like Austin, if you went south on Belmont, you would see St. Charles Borromeo and, like, within the half mile or a mile. Okay. So, he still stayed west. Yeah, he stayed west uh, at that church for some time. And it's funny because I've had several jobs and people come up to me and say, Ficini. Now, I, one, I knew when I was growing up a priest named Father Rocco Ficini, and I'm like, that's my dad. I'm like, you're kidding me! It was like, because I have like a pretty recognizable last name, so, you know, I, odds are, you know, if you had a Father Ficini as a priest, uh, <laughs> you would find that that connection was real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, did your dad have a similar beard to you? Or facial hair? 
Well, uh, he had the beard before I did. And he had a beard, like, the last few years, the last several years of his life, I'll say. And it was funny. uh, He had the beard for a while. And then when the book was out, it's like he he used to go to the people like, you know, I have a beard because I'm an author. <laughs> that was that was his little old man joke. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So your dad is now in the rectory and taking care of this church. Now, having done this research, I'm not sure if this is your dad that reports this, but there's sounds from the third floor. There's groaning and whimpering, and there's banging and pounding, and um, reports that it sounds like someone is locked in. Mm-hmm. Is that is that from your from your dad's first hand account or uh, who who's talking about um, what's up with this third floor? <laughs> it's well, it's really interesting. Um, there was a lot of things that happened the entire time he was there. So not only was there noise, but since it was a bad neighborhood in which they lived, he would deadbolt. He had a deadbolt lock on the interior door of his bedroom. Uh, where he stayed in the rectory and he would lock it at night and every so often that lock would be undone and you couldn't undo it unless you undid it from the inside. Creepy. Oh my God. Yeah. Noel just like did the uh, dance of the creeped. I just, yeah, I just sat like bolt upright. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) she did not feel good about that. No, thank you. Um, Here's something here. I'm going to put a little icing on it. So after things were happening for a while and uh, Tom attested to seeing this ghost they were going to the attic and they they found the mold uh, a painting of bishop Muldoon. so the pastor there is just like we're going to hang it in the hallway who knows what the hell's going on but maybe this will help and then when that when my dad's door would open at night and that lock that could only be undone from the inside was triggered somehow and the door would just be a little bit open where the from the position of his bed, the head of his bed, if you look straight off the, that crack in the door, you could see Muldoon's painting. Wow. Now I heard it. I well, I read another story too. I don't want to. I don't. Excuse me. I don't. I don't want to jump too far ahead. But um, in in the book, I think you talk about um a young man and a young woman who see a full body apparition of Muldoon. And then when that, they that, leave, that, when they leave that room, yeah, yeah. Uh, they mm-hmm. actually go to a different room and see his painting and or his portrait and realize that he's been dead for well on eighty years or something like that. Right. Um, the exact details. It's been a while since I've like revisited the actual details of the story. But Tom, who was a part of this. Uh, my dad wasn't at the church at the time, and Tom was showing a couple around while they were waiting for my dad to arrive. So they went through the rectory, they went to the the quarters, and there's like a map. I, one of the illustrations I did is a floor plan of the first floor and the second floor of the rectory, so you could kind of get an idea of where everything was situated. But uh, as they were walking, there was a little sitting room. And yes, when they went to the sitting room, there, were, there was an old man sitting in a chair right there in the sitting room. And he turned and he smiled and it just seemed like this pleasantry. But Tom knew that this guy shouldn't be there. Um, 
So these, this, this couple who saw them, you know, they talked to my dad. Oh, we didn't know who it was. They left. My dad went there. He didn't see this apparition or this old man, I should say. And when Tom saw the painting, he said, that's the guy I saw. And my dad's like, Tom, that, that's, that can't be the guy you saw. And he was like, Adam, it's this young kid. He's like, he's like, damn it, I know what I saw. Don't tell me I don't know. And to this, like I said, to this day, before I drove out here, I talked to him again. And he's like, he's like, yep, I know what I saw, and that's what I saw. So he's like, I mean, he's the one who baptized me and my brother and all that kind of stuff. So he's been in the family forever. He's a very good person. He was pastor of many churches. Mentally solid guy, very logical, very pragmatic. But on this, it's like there's no, there's no wavering for him. He knows what he saw. So I have a question for you. I also read a story earlier about, and thank you for sharing all that. I also read a story about um, an empty room, a room that was supposed to be empty. And uh, for some reason, uh, as a priest passed by it, the lights turned on and they heard classical music. And uh, then they... uh, uh, I don't know if it was abruptly, but they turned around and went to inspect, and there was nobody in there. Um, I'm, you know what? I might have to read the book again. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I remember something with music, but I know that there were several stories. And, like, the reason I tell the stories that I do tell is because when I was a kid, like, we, my dad would tell us these stories. And we would tell these at campfires growing up. So there was a few set that I definitely knew all the details with. And I think when my dad was researching the book, he might have gotten some other stories from other people. So that might have been in the book, but I don't recall the music thing. So So, um, I'm curious, did they try to excuse when all this kind of started happening? Um, And I know that your dad kind of went into it with that, like, preemptive there's a church in the diocese that's haunted but we're not going to tell or we're not going to tell you which one um so <laughs> but w- was there ever that moment where they were like oh it's just the house settling or you know trying to excuse the sounds or you know the the weird activity as something else or did they I, don't, just... I don't i i you know i, I don't, don't think, think that they, that they did, did. I think it had been happening for such regularity that, well, I, I, you know, there was one instance, I'm going to take that back, because, so the, the sacristy in the church, this was a very big, beautiful, ornate uh, stone church on the west side, and the altar was very hey, David, ornate. And just for our and listeners, it, can you say what the sacristy is? Sure. So if you go into a Roman Catholic church and you see an altar, and right behind it is kind of a cabinet, Sometimes it's gold, ornate, very elaborate. That's where they keep the sacraments for the mass. And that's, you know, they have the storage in the back, but that's where they keep the stuff where they're going to use for the mass. And that is where the blessed sacraments will stay. Now, in a poor neighborhood, people were walking in, and this would happen often. They'd see this gold thing at the end of an aisle, and it looks like a safe or something. And they would try to break in there thinking that there was something in there. Uh, they had a pressure plate behind the altar that would set off an alarm in the rectory if anyone was ever trying to get into the sacristy, you know, outside of church hours. So that would go off every so often, uh, and they would check to see if maybe it was someone trying to rob the sacristy, but sometimes it would just go off and there was no one in the church. Uh, so 
they would try to like wrap their minds around it. Maybe it's, you know, people breaking in or something like that, but it was just, they never really caught anybody. It was all these little instances. And then again, like when things got more major with the bowling balls and this all stuff, this stuff all happened before my dad got there. Like this precedent had been set where they were kind of, they could try to explain it otherwise, but it just didn't seem like it jived. Um, I think I might have missed. Did you say with the bowling balls? So, oh, so I, like it sounded like bowling balls bouncing down the stairs in the kitchen. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, that's like, why they couldn't paint, the like the cabin thing ripped from the walls. That kind of sound. Gotcha. Like those are sounds that were so major that they could never write off that any other way. Got it. Now, did anyone ever think that it was anybody other than Father Muldoon, or maybe there were other spirits? within the home i mean i i don't i don't think that was really anything to to like my dad from putting together from uh his days at quigley to coming to this first assignment that was where his mind was and i think everyone's mind was already there by the time he got there these were stories that were well known in the catholic community already so that, that there was already kind of this vibe that there's something going on at this church, and that's how he even heard about the story from his instructor while he was in seminary. Gotcha. So, David, have you been there? No, that church was torn down well before uh, I was born. So oh, gotcha. The, so the priest, uh, the, the pastor there, had the opportunity to incorporate this church into the UIC medical district back then, and he decided he didn't, he didn't want to do it. And obviously, we know what happened from there. UIC came in, and then they just made their upgrades. They put came in, and that church was torn down. Interesting. So, when they were when they were in the church, though, or when the church was still there, did anybody try to take any actions to appease Father Muldoon or try to put you know his spirit at rest or anything like that that you know of? I mean, other than hanging that painting in the hallway, there was really nothing they knew what to do. Uh, I think as a rule, the Catholic Church's stance on ghosts is that they don't exist. Well, David, actually, um, I, was, I was reading a lot about this, and I actually went to Catholic school. The, the interesting thing is, is that, sorry, I'm sighing, is that <laughs> uh, the Catholic Church, their stance isn't that there are no ghosts, but there's a big delineation between demons and ghosts. Okay. And so what we mostly hear about like in pop culture is like demons and demons and demons and demons. But uh, from, from my reading, what I can understand um, is that there's a great tradition of ghosts, um, probably starting from the, from the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, I was like, yeah, there, there's one of the, well, then of course they believe in ghosts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there, there is a ghost tradition. Um, So I was trying to find actually uh uh, just because this is my personal, I was, I was trying to find um, a priest that would say this was untrue, and I I, ne- I never found it. They the all the priests who have gone on record about Father Muldoon believe it. Well, I'll tell you something that I think is really interesting. He was in the seminary during the time of the uh, I I want to say he he was the acting archbishop at the time that my dad was writing this book. His name is Ray Getter. 
and I don't, Jay, are you from Chicago originally, Jay, or? Um, mostly, yes. Okay, so do you do know who Cardinal, you know who Cardinal Bernadine is, or what? Absolutely. He's got that big old so, yeah. house on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right off of, like, North Avenue there, yeah. Off of a little, yeah, off like of North Lincoln and Park. State. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, this was, like, when, when Cardinal Bernadine got pancreatic cancer, and he was like getting incapacitated Ray Getter was the acting cardinal in his absence until they got him after until after he passed away and then they got a new cardinal but my dad went to school with this guy and he was around during all this stuff but the church's stances like not to really comment on it so while he was acting cardinal he came over for dinner one night while we were putting this book together and we were asking him, what do you think what do you think and he was really tight-lipped about it and and it's like my dad was looking for a little soundbite, something to put in the book, you know, give it a little bit of a, you know, legitimate, you know, approval from the church, if you will. And he just wouldn't really say, he wouldn't really say anything, except he's like, I'll just say this, something was happening. And then after Cardinal Bernadine had passed away, and after he was relieved of his acting cardinal position, and he retired, he since come out and saying, yeah, there was definitely that kind of activity, and he's expounded upon that. So it's fascinating. It's his interesting his name is Ray Getter? Ray Getter, G-O-E-D-E-R-T, maybe two Ds. Yeah, Bishop awesome. Ray Getter. Thank you. I'm, to- I'm totally writing this down because I, as... Noel, well, you know me personally. You know I'm a nerd, <laughs> so right. I want to I want to look that up. That is fascinating. Um, and yeah, that car, if uh, for those of you in Chicago, you really should see uh, uh, Father Bernadine's home. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous yeah. building. Was there any other response from the Catholic Church with you guys putting out this book? Not officially from the church, but you know, it was funny because if you, if my my dad pretty much kind of challenged a process back then that was a hard process to challenge. So he didn't really get approval from the church on this. But if you talk to any of the priests that he knew, and there was like there was a there was a trend of priests leaving the priesthood around that same era in which my dad did, and a lot of priests who had stayed. You talk to any priest around that time if they knew that my. If they knew that story, they knew my dad. They were just like, this, he's not making this up. This is a real thing. Uh, there was like, he's, in his retirement, he would meet up with a lot of these guys uh, in this group called the Romeos, the retired old men eating out. And they would go to restaurants. <laughs> yeah. They would go to this restaurant called Gulliver's that's kind of on the, the border of like, you know, towards Rogers Parker, like a little bit of. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there. Yeah, I was just yeah, thinking, yeah. I know that place. Okay. So they would meet there and they would just like all these old priests would kind of talk about the, the old days, you know, just like maybe anyone who was on the same football team in high school would be doing the same. And they would oftentimes ask my dad about these stories and every bit of it, they, it's like, they're just like, yeah, I remember this, I remember this, but da, 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 and they're just kind of piecing things together. So, uh, yeah, he definitely had the support of the community, the religious community, and in terms of any type of thing from the church. I mean, this book was so not like on their radar anyway. <laughs> but still, that's, I mean, yeah, that's great. So David, um, we are, uh, we don't have too much more time, uh, but we're, we're going to, okay. I'm going to ask okay. you, 
uh, two questions. Noel's going to ask you one question. Um, what is, because <laughs> I'm unfair, um, what in the book is your favorite story? I mean, what, do you, what do you think is, is something that just feels really good, uh, whether it's scary or heartfelt or whatever? What's, what's, your, what's your favorite story? My favorite story is how the book came to be. Uh, I was in college at the time, and me and a couple of my roommates went to my parents' house so I could find some last-minute costume, and oftentimes I would wear my dad's priest costume as a Halloween costume. Uh, I didn't want to do that again, so I was just trying to look for something at the house, and I was, I was like, hey, guys, sit here with my dad. I'm going to go try and find a costume. So I'm digging through, and I was like, oh, Dad, I was like, I was like, Dad, you should tell them the Muldoon stories. So my dad sits back, and he starts telling his Muldoon stories, appropriate, it's right around Halloween. And I come back with, you know, I got like a tire, and I painted treads across my body, so that was my costume. I come in the room, and my dad is there, and he's just got this look. Where he's like, yeah, and my yeah, buddy my Mike, who uh, was there, he's like, you should write this. This should be a book. Both Mike and Greg were just like, yeah, this is like a really great story. So from there, he just started writing the story. And uh, my buddies, Mike and Greg, they're storytellers, animators, and stuff like that. So they kind of gave him a little encouragement. And that's, I really like the discovery process of telling a story or, you know, creation. Like collaborative minds come together and there's that moment of creating something that is... I mean, this book will be around forever in this form or another, which is kind of cool, and maybe be woven into the Chicago lore of ghosts. I really hope so. I hope so. Um, that's, I, I think it's that's actually, awesome. I, think, I think the area, when I was like doing some research and Googling, it, it definitely came up on uh, one of the Chicago Ghost Tours websites. So, Oh, okay. It's in there. So they've. You've it's a slow, it. it's yeah. a slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, your father believed in ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? You know, I don't really. I believe people believe what they believe. <laughs> so it's like, I'm. I'm not a religious person. I'm. I, can, I guess you could say I'm spiritual. I don't know, you know, I don't know what created this, and I think our, our trying to understand what created where we are is beyond our comprehension, so we've made up these stories to try to get some way to wrap our minds around it, whether whatever religion you believe. But if you look at it, there's something bigger than us. There's an energy that started this universe that we don't understand, and it's going to continue well beyond, you know, whatever we are turned completely into dust again. So in terms of ghosts, sure, anything possible. Do I believe in it? I, I haven't, I've never seen one. You've never seen one. Okay, cool. I mean, I mean no. that, makes, that makes sense. But I, I also do find it fascinating uh, with this book uh, under your belt that, that, that you're – um, ghost thesis has to do with religion, which I find fascinating because mine does not. And it isn't that one is wrong or one is right. It's just what. Uh, I mean, yeah, who knows? The, I mean, let's, let's say somebody is more in touch with something that I am not in touch with. You know, maybe they see yeah. something I don't. I don't know. Yeah. 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 And I would 100% agree with that because, uh, 
if you listen to this show, David, I'm also con- I'm, uh, a lot of times I'm going to listen, gonna listen to your show as soon as you read this book. Dude, <laughs> I'm a third of the way done. That's fair. Okay. okay. <laughs> you son of a bitch, I own your book. <laughs> I'm the one who's asked you all the questions from the book. <laughs> While that's I sat fair, quietly beside her. Yeah, Noelle was the one who didn't read it. Uh, I didn't read it. Um, so. Okay. Listen, oh, I've been well, traveling. All right. um, <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a really good way to put it, though. Like, you kind of believe what you believe, and that's kind of the, our philosophy here. Is yeah. you know, um, yeah. we're open-minded yeah. to it, and you know, we don't necessarily like we we like to debunk a lot of things, but at the same time, we also like the idea of it, and so it's a lot of fun. Um, my question would be more for you, like, you know, what was your dad really hoping to, um, get out of the experience of writing the book? I know you said you wanted to clear Father Muldoon's name or kind of, um, clear the air a little bit about that, but was that kind of his main goal there? Like not knowing him personally? You know, um... It's interesting. So my dad was never really a healthy guy. I mean, if you live as a, as a priest with all these other guys, and you're basically like a professional bachelor. He never had anyone who like was in a relationship with him or something that maybe kind of kept him up or anything like that. So he ate poorly. He you know, didn't take care of himself very well. So he was never a healthy person throughout the time that he was my dad. And it was the last several years of his life when he was on dialysis that he was just kind of like, he always had a good spirit about him, but he, like, he used to tell me dialysis is like being the worst hangover you ever had every other day of your life without drinking. So... It was like, I think he was looking for something to kind of, you know, you get a lot of time. He would be on dialysis, dialysis for seven hours at a time every other day in the week. And he had a lot of time to sit and think and reflect. And I think when it, my friends mentioned this and he had the time and he's been thinking about it a lot, I think that's how... I don't know. That's that's how everything transpired. I don't know if I really answered your question. <laughs> no. Well, no, no, that's actually, that's great. I mean, it's nice to know, you know, it kind of motivates him to keep going and look right. for the next day. So that's great. Well, David, we're going to wrap up here just because of time. But I, I, I do want to uh, give you this moment to say the thing that you always meant to say, but uh, neither of us gave you the opportunity. <laughs> What was that? I don't, I don't even remember. No, I, I have no idea, but it, it's just your moment to just to. Oh, be this is my, my shining moment. This is your shining moment. Oh, boy, the pressure. Yeah. Uh, go. Go Cubs? Go. Go Cubs, sure. I, cr- I try not to take it personally that as soon as I leave Chicago, the Cubs win the World Series. But that's not a sign to get the hell out of the city. I don't know what is. So I, I was like, come visit me in California. There's my thing I'll say to everyone who's listening. Come visit me in California. Everyone visit David. He's amazing. He's amazing. You have a film company. Do you want to pitch anything? Um, right now, I'm just... Uh, there's a film that's out. All right, here's something I'd like to pitch. If you guys yeah, see the film. Hold on, David, before you finish, we are huge in England, Australia, <laughs> Germany, China, okay. 
I mean, we've got it. We've got huge? this huge, huge. Well, oh wow, hundreds, oh, wow. hundreds of people <laughs> in Australia are listening right now. Very cool. Very cool. I always want to go to Australia. Um, um, who does? Buy the book Muldoon: A True Chicago Ghost Story. If you get a chance to buy a movie on iTunes coming out, it's called Thrill Ride. A hundred percent of the proceeds from this film are going to research cancer. Yes, and I was able, awesome. I was able, I was able to be the art, uh, 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 specialty props master and sculptor for this film and set uh, builder. So, project I really like. So, Thrill Ride on iTunes, Muldoon on Amazon. Yes, yes, yes to all of that. Um, David, can you tell us who your sponsor is tonight? You are smoking. Oh, Twenty uh, First Amendment. How, uh, excuse me, Hell or High Watermelon. And yes, that's what you're What's that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're smoking and you said 21st Amendment. So you're drinking oh, the 21st oh. Amendment, but you're smoking. <laughs> it's working. Don't you tell me what I'm smoking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what Make I'm me a smoking. sandwich, woman. <laughs> uh, what I'm smoking is Island Premium. Pre-rolled yeah. Canada. Ugh, that sounds so nice. That's Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to High Spirits. It's a show in which we, uh, uh, I was going to say get high because David just <laughs> talked about it. But it's actually the show where we talk about ghosts and we drink spirits. Noel, what would you drink tonight? Uh, tonight I'm drinking Folkway Revelator. Thank you, Folkway, for sponsoring us. Get caught up in some thorns. And tonight I'm drinking Zombie Dust. We've had the most uh, amazing guest with us tonight. His name is David. Uh, Achini. Oh, you're going to do the whole thing. I was going to, no, no. No, you do it. You do it. You do it. You do it. No, you were going to do David the, Rocco Frattini. You were going to do the who whole Who has uh, this amazing book, this uh, a book about Father Muldoon, which you should pick up. Um, please pay for it. Uh, but uh, for some reason, David is so kind, he, he tells people to read it in libraries. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had such a wonderful time talking to him. This is our first satellite uh, High Spirits episode. And Noelle has one last gnarly thing to say to you, and it's... Sweet dreams.